This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements to help power their copper mine at Olympic Dam in South Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com critical to find out more. This is our second squeeze shortcut of the week. Earlier in the week, Alex and Claire got you across all the happenings in Thailand after a big election there. Second episode of the week, again, very much leaning into big global news stories. This time, we're talking about what's happening in Sudan. So foreign nationals, including Australians, there have been evacuated out of the country. In this Squiz Shortcut, we look at why Sudan is in such strife, what's happening on the ground right now, and what the world is doing to try and stop a full-blown war. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Look, it's pretty fair to say, I think, Claire, that Africa is not a place that gets reported on an awful lot here in Australia, whether that's right or wrong. I'm sure people will have views, but it's just the case. Sudan, though, has been in the news lately, and that's mainly because a bunch of Australians have been rescued from there after fighting broke out in the capital. They couldn't get on commercial flights. Yeah, that's right. Those pictures of people with blankets around them uh, and, of course, in the back of military planes, it really reminded me of those scenes from Afghanistan a couple of years ago, mm. people desperately trying to get out of Kabul, of course, on those US evacuation flights before the Taliban took over. So over the past few weeks, it's mainly been the UK coordinating those evacuation flights from Sudan, uh, but an Aussie Hercules was part of the mission all up, 190 Australians and their families have been helped out of the country over the last month or so. Of course, in this shortcut, we will talk about what's going on in Sudan. But for people like me, I guess um, I did have to look up where exactly Sudan is on the map. I think you kind of have an idea, but it is good to just visualise where this is actually happening. Yeah, so spin the globe and you get Africa in your head uh, and then Sudan is up towards the northeast corner. Now, that part of Africa is as much Arab as it is African, really. Sudan is mainly Muslim. It borders Egypt and Libya to the north and west and then Ethiopia and Eritrea to the south and east. Yeah, it used to be Africa's biggest country until South Sudan got independence just over a decade ago. It's still pretty significant, though. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, even after South Sudan broke off, it's still the third biggest nation and one and a half times as big as South Africa. It's home to 48 million people. And of course, the countries bordering Sudan have a whole lot of instability as well. Yeah, there sure is instability in that region. And Sudan's whole backstory really is filled with fighting and famine. Uh, it was ruled both by Egypt and Britain until it successfully fought for independence in the 1950s. But since then, it seems to have been plagued by a succession of military coups and civil wars. And the dreams the people might have had for democracy has never really taken hold. Yeah, if you've heard nothing else about Sudan over the years, you might be familiar with the conflict in Darfur. The UN said that was a campaign of genocide within the country. That conflict, Claire, went on for 17 years up until 2020. 
Yeah, more than 300,000 people were killed and another 3 million forced from their homes during that time. The International Criminal Court even ordered the arrest of the country's president, Omar al-Bashir, on seven charges of war crimes, which was the first warrant issued for a sitting head of state. He was accused of trying to eliminate the non-Arab minorities in Sudan. And of course, this isn't isolated to the issues now. We'll get into that in a bit. It's a pretty fragile peace agreement that was reached just a few years ago. Let's take a look now at why things have turned so badly so quickly in Sudan. Claire, let's start by getting a sense of what's going on on the ground in Sudan right now. The fighting that we're talking about now started back in April and when I say fighting, it's essentially clashes between two branches of the military. One is the regular army and the other is a separate military group called the Rapid Support Forces or the RSF. The RSF didn't want to be integrated into the main army and they've taken their battle onto the streets and the cities. Uh, So ordinary civilians are getting killed in this power struggle. So we know that peace in Sudan has been fairly fragile since the end of the conflict in Darfur. So what's really the nub of why these two armies are fighting? Because the argument that I didn't want to join your team doesn't really sound like a solid basis for war, but perhaps it is. Yeah, it's a tale as old as war itself. Uh, You probably wouldn't be shocked to know that a couple of generals are using these militaries as pawns to fight their own power struggle. So after 30 years of power, Omar al-Bashir was overthrown in 2019. The people wanted that. And he basically set up that RSF to rival the army, uh, thinking that it would keep him safe from a military coup. But instead, the two generals of those forces combined to get rid of him him and now both are really reneging on promises to establish a civilian-led government and instead they're fighting for power for themselves. Yeah, whenever you look at any coverage of this, the words power struggle come up time and time again. At the heart of it, we've got these two generals who are currently the de facto head and deputy head of the Sudanese government. Their names are Abdel Fattah al-Buhan. He's the leader of the Sudanese army and Muhammad Hamdan Daga better known as Hemeti, the head of that paramilitary or the RSF you talked about before. Yes, and like we said, the two actually worked together. Mm. Both played roles in brutally putting down the very large non-Muslim rebel groups in that Darfur conflict. Uh, So they overthrew a president together a few years ago uh, and now their own battle for power, as we've said, is threatening to throw Sudan back into a full-scale civil war. Yeah, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around, but that is sort of the very basic top level, what's going on and why. What's actually happening on the streets right now? So, you know, some of these tactics that we've recently seen in Russia when it invaded Ukraine, um, the RSF is actually trying to control key assets, so things like hospitals, banks, television stations. Um, They've moved deep into urban areas. It's not like it's being fought out in the middle of nowhere Mm. and the army and the air force have mounted counterattacks, including airstrikes on the capital Khartoum. Uh, So you can see why civilians are becoming victims. A bunch of ceasefires have been announced to allow people to escape the fighting, but these have all been pretty well ignored. 
Yeah, and one of the country's most prominent singers, uh, a woman named Shadeen Gardud, she was killed in the crossfire just a week ago and that was just a day after a supposed deal to ease civil suffering. She had been posting regularly on Facebook talking about the clashes and one of her last posts said, we've been trapped in our houses for 25 days, we are hungry and living in an enormous fear. Yeah, we know that 600 civilians have died so far. More than 50,000 have been injured, not to mention those severe water, food and electricity shortages as well. It's pretty grim there and you can see why foreigners in Sudan were so desperate to flee. It was a huge exercise to get diplomats and expats out. Uh, The UK alone sent in about 30 military flights to get 2,500 people out. Others were escorted by road to the port of Sudan on the Red Sea and then they were shipped across to Saudi Arabia and the United States, Germany and France were also doing a lot of heavy lifting to get people out. Yes, harrowing escape stories but so devastating for all the Sudanese of course with nowhere to go and also traumatised by so much fighting in their country for such a long time. Yeah it's a really difficult situation there. Next up we'll look at what the world's doing to stop this blowing up into a war that draws in the whole region. Before we get into what might be in the news next week, a message from our podcast advertiser, BHP. This week, they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key to the energy transition to renewable energy. Yeah, we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role resources play in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure as well as in bridges, transportation, hospitals and schools. And a big part of it comes from iron ore. BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Australian iron ore is clear. And by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. It's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. Sometimes when you hear about these wars in Africa, you can become a little apathetic, Claire. Is there really anything we can do? Will this ever end? How do we stop this escalating into civil war? Those are the big questions. And sometimes you kind of think, well, Will it ever change? Yeah, and of course, just getting that base level of understanding about what it's all about is really difficult to access sometimes, and Mm. I don't think we really know the answer yet. Um, Not surprisingly, a vast range of governments are now trying to influence events on the ground in Sudan, from the European Union to the United States. Uh, There's seven neighbours, of course, and also Saudi Arabia, which lies across that Red Sea. Yeah, the Saudis did host peace talks, bringing reps from the Sudanese army and rival RSF to the table. They didn't get very far, though. No, the two groups said that they do more to protect civilians, but they made no commitments to end the fighting. And really, that's what everyone knows is going to be key here. They Mm. need to stop this from escalating from a military struggle into a civil war. And that's the kind of thing that other factions could potentially join as well. Yeah, I read a Saudi diplomat at those talks 
said a permanent ceasefire isn't on the table because both sides believe they have the upper hand, so they have no incentive really to halt the fighting. And if it all wasn't complex enough already, there's another troubling actor in all of this, and that's Russia. Mm. So we've talked about the fact that Sudan has this big stretch of coastline on the Red Sea, and the Kremlin has for years been trying to establish a military base at the port of Sudan. Uh, So that would give its warships influence on one of the busiest shipping lanes. And you can imagine that the United States and the UK do not want that to happen. What an added complication. Other than getting the fighting to stop, what is it broadly that the people of Sudan want to happen? I mean, that's a big question, but what do we know? Yeah, what we know is that when that 30-year dictatorship of Omar al-Bashir was ended in 2019, the people really thought that they were going to get democracy. Mm. That's what they were promised. They were going to move on from military rule. Uh, So for the people of Sudan, this is not really a struggle between a good guy and a bad guy. It's just two bad guys who reneged on a promise um, that they were going to be leading Sudan through a transition to that civilian rule. And it's worth mentioning that both Generals Burhan and Hameti have faced calls from leaders within Sudan and victims of the Darfur conflict to face trial for alleged war crimes. And just a month before this latest fighting broke out, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Volker Turk, gave a really emotional speech pleading for peace and democracy in Sudan. He talked about the profound pain uh, in that country and also the extraordinary hope driven by people of all walks of life that things could be different. It is definitely a feeling of how much can one country take. Claire, we've talked about this with other countries before, but it's definitely the same sort of vibe with Sudan. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in the short term, mediators are really going to keep pushing to get any sort of ceasefire so that civilians can get out of the way and humanitarian aid can get in. But beyond that, it's going to take some extraordinary diplomacy to stop this going off the rails. That's your shortcut to the crisis in Sudan. On to our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. Um, Claire, I watched a video explainer from the UK's Telegraph which talks about all the characters involved in this. It's really good to understand who's who of this conflict. The UK's Daily Telegraph do some great explainers. I really enjoy those. Uh, One from the BBC, it's a bit of the backstory of those two generals who are now fighting for supremacy. Thank you for listening in to this episode of Squiz Shortcuts, a big international news week for us here at the Squiz. If you have any more global politics, big international news stories that you want to get across, send us a request to hello at thesquiz.com.au. And if you like what we do on Squiz Shortcuts, leave us a review. Uh, Five stars is always the way to go. That's what we like to see. In the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to check out. Have a listen, get into those, and we will catch you next week. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.